Welcome to the Hero Nation podcast. My name is Sophia Ansari. And my name is Brooke Warren. And we are bringing you the second episode of Hero Nation. Uh, We were on a bit of a hiatus after our first episode, (laughs) but uh, we are glad to be back. And Mm -hmm. today's episode is on black superheroes. And yeah, I just want to take a second to say, um, yeah, it was partly my fault. I had a sinus infection, so (laughs) it took a little bit longer to get back on the mic, but... I didn't think you guys would want to hear all that coughing. Yeah, but, it's all good, Brack. <laughs> Glad to hear you're better. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so there's a lot of great, you know, characters we want to spotlight on today's episode. A lot of characters I grew up with and who mean a lot to me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Breck, there was something you said in the last episode. And I actually went back and I listened to what you said and I wrote it down. So not creepy at all. But I think that there was a statement that resonated with a lot of people. And what you said was, and here I'm going to quote you. So, okay, here. (laughs) You said, Uh not every character is going to have a story I can relate to. But when they do, and when the character looks like me and goes through similar struggles as only a black male would really understand, then that makes me love the character more because they reflect me. And you talked a little bit about Luke Cage and how you could relate to a lot of his experiences as being a black male in America. Yeah, and you know, our last episode, we asked, you know, who's the first hero that looked like you? And mm-hmm. I thought the responses were interesting. Some were saying, I still don't have a hero who looks like me. So I'm hoping as we highlight superheroes from all walks of life, that those of you out there who haven't found that superhero yet, hopefully we can we can introduce you to some. Exactly. Now, you can't talk about black superheroes without talking about Milestone Media. It was created a long time ago, back in 1993, by a group of black writers and artists. Milestone Comics was distributed by DC Comics, and the founders were Dwayne McDuffie, Dennis Cohen, Michael Davis, and Derek T. Dingle. And they had complete control over their content. DC just, you know, kind of distributed it, got it out to the shops. And they created Milestone because they believed that people of color were underrepresented in American comics. McDuffie was a creator who worked for both DC and Marvel, and when he was an editor at Marvel, he created a spoof comic called Teenage Negro Ninja Thrashers. And this is a real thing. I should I, I, <laughs> I have it because I have a copy of his memo somewhere. Of and course I should you put have it. it. <laughs> yeah, because when I heard that story, I was like, yeah. And I should put that on our Facebook page, the Hero Nation yes. Facebook page. Yes. I just got to find it. I know I have it somewhere. But okay. this was in response to Marvel's treatment of black characters. Okay. And he felt that they were caricatures and stereotypes. So Milestone was his answer to tearing down those negative portrayals. Now, he's a pioneer when it comes to diversity in comics. McDuffie once said, My biggest issue generally in writing mainstream comics is that if you write a black character, he represents blackness. And that's ridiculous. It's way too much. Way too complex. Way too much weight for any character, any single character to hold. Whereas if you write a white character, he's that guy you know you can be Superman, you can be Lex Luthor, But if you're black, you're all black people. Good guy, bad guy, anything in between. So one of the things that we tried to do was present a range of characters, different social economics, different backgrounds, different ages, as much of a range of opinions as you can, you know, in a little tiny model of the world. 
Yeah, I, I watched that documentary, the one that you just, the, that quote that you just stated from McDuffie. Mm-hmm. And I actually, Breck, I didn't know that he had passed away. Yeah. Like what it was, like six years ago. He was so yeah. young and, and such a, like a juggernaut in the in the comic book industry. So I was really sad to hear that. Um, but he was just such an important figure because Milestone tackled a lot of complex issues um, of, of characters from so many different ethnicities. Um, you know, they had Icon, who was who's actually a Republican superhero <laughs> who butted heads with a lot of the other superheroes mm-hmm. because of his very conservative views. Uh, they had Rocket, who was a teen mom and was the first single teenage mom in comics. Yes. They had gay, straight, rich, poor characters. And... McDuffie said that even though they were creating this fantasy world, um, that they still wanted the world they were creating to look like the world that we lived in. And I thought that was great. Yeah, with Icon, it was great because they showed a black conservative. And growing up, I didn't know what that was. But now Mm -hmm. that I'm older, I realize he's a minority within a minority, you know? And there are Republican blacks out there who exist, of course. (laughs) So it was a unique thing to show that, especially, you know, in this comic book. Also, they would show his conflict with other superheroes, like you mentioned, especially Rocket, who was super liberal and who had a problem with Icon's political affiliation. Icon had this burden of having to explain himself to others. So that is representative of a whole group of blacks that feel they have to constantly defend themselves. And then another controversy was when Milestone had an issue where the teenage superhero Static is on the cover, Static number 25, He's making out with his girlfriend on the couch, and there's condoms on the floor. Now, DC didn't want to publish the cover because they didn't, they didn't want to use sex to sell comic books. And then the interview I saw with McDuffie was funny because he said that as the guy from DC was telling him this, he noticed behind the guy was a wall of DC books that were out that month, and there was a picture of the Legion of Superheroes cover with the female superhero in a sexual pose. So compared to Kissing... It was a weird mm-hmm. argument for DC to have. They went back and forth and eventually compromised and ending up putting a cover over where all you could see was the two characters kissing. Unless you actually bought the book and you opened it up. And I was like, what, what's so bad about this? <laughs> right. But McDuffie said he didn't think this was about sexuality, more about black sexuality, which apparently made people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I remember reading that and I saw I saw the, the rest of the cover and I was like, yeah, there's... What, what what's wrong with this? Yeah. If anything, it's promoting like safe sex and yeah. whatnot, you know. So I didn't understand that controversy, but I think a lot of the uncomfortableness that was there was probably there uh, because of the the history of the depiction of the one dimensional characters that were being shown for such a long time, mm-hmm. up to that point, um, especially in the seventies. Um, we had something called black exploitation films, um, which actually had um, you know African Americans in the lead, but they were so stereotypical. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these are movies you probably remember, like Shaft. Do you remember yeah, Shaft yeah. and Superfly? Yeah. Um, and so just. Just think what that does to audiences like perception of of black communities. If all you knew about black families was that was what the news reported, then all you're going to think is that, you know, black people are in gangs or have Uh no dads in their lives, like all the stuff that they depict constantly in the media. And so there was a study because, you know, I love my studies. um, (laughs) And of course, I'll I'll post it for everyone to read. Um, 
but it examined representations of families by race uh, in national and local news and opinion media coverage on television, in print and online. And this study analyzed stories published or aired um, in the two-year period, I believe between 2015 and 2016. Mm -hmm. And what the findings showed is that news and opinion media do in fact perpetuate inaccurate representations of black families across several different areas of coverage. So, for example, um, black families represent 59% of the poor portrayed in the media. This is according to the analysis. But in reality, they account for 27% of Americans in poverty. And then white families make up 17% of the poor depicted in news media, but make up 66% of the American poor. American poorer. So this is what the study said. And, you know, all I'm trying to do is just to highlight that Mm. this is how the media, you know, racializes poverty, right? By presenting a really distorted image of black families. And see, that's exactly why McDuffie wanted change. Everyone in society has a right to see themselves accurately represented in the art they consume. Yeah, and we talked about this in the last episode, right? About the psychological impact it can it can have on individuals. Yeah. And the first titles that were launched by Milestone were Blood Syndicate, Hardware, Icon, and Static. So in Blood Syndicate, the Big Bang refers to an incident in which gang members from all over Dakota, so, you know, Superman has, has Metropolis, Batman, Gotham, Marvel, mostly New York, Milestone takes place in a city called Dakota. And these gangs met in one big, huge battle. And the police got word of the attack and planned to use tear gas on them, which was laced with a radioactive marker. The plan was to track down any gang member who got away using a radioactive marker. But they didn't know that the tear gas was laced with a mutant agent called, you know, quantum juice. So many gang members and police officers died, while others transformed according to their state of mind or what they were close to when the gas hit them. One woman landed in water, her body became water, and she developed the ability to control water as well. She named herself Aquamaria. Another woman stumbled into a brick wall, merged with it, and became solid brick. She was named Brick House. That's so which, cool. Yes, which is one of my favorite characters. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. A police officer gained the ability to emit golden energy blast and was called Oro. And he was actually framed for the murder of his ex-partner. Everyone turns against everyone turned against him and he had nowhere else to go. So he actually ended up joining the Blood Syndicate, who allowed the former cop to stay and in return he vowed to help protect their territory from all threats. And being a, and being an ex cop, Oro took some time to win the respect of the rest of the syndicate. And they gave him the nickname Oral for some time. <laughs> That's so bad. <laughs> and then there was Dog, who again is another favorite character, and it's Dog with two G's. He was just a normal dog, but he developed human-level cognitive abilities and the ability to speak. And again, I just love so many of these characters. I know, there's so many. Virgil Oivid Hawkins. What's his middle name? Oivid. It's O-V-I-D. Okay. After the the famous writer. Oh. Yeah, see? I told him, let me me some Virgil. I know, you do. he gained electromagnetic powers from the gas, and he became a superhero named Static. And Static wasn't in a gang he was supposed to join, but he was like, yeah, I need to get out of here, especially when the tear gas started flowing. 
And Blood Syndicate was made up of various opposing gangs who were transformed by the gas. Before the Big Bang, they were enemies from different neighborhoods and different ethnic groups. Only thing they had in common is that after the Big Bang, they were now mutants and they needed each other to survive. So, so basically, they're like the X Men of the DC world, right? Because yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's kinda, like diverse yeah. coming together. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I honestly love how they transformed based on what they were near and what their state of mind was when the, the Big Bang happened. I loved that whole concept. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, um, like, mm-hmm. like you're saying, Brick, and and there's a lot of other characters that you'll talk about in a bit. But um, I just I love that concept. And but you know, I did have I just I did have one comment or question for you, Brett. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, Blood Syndicate was was made in '93, uh, and it's about gangs, which, which I guess back then gang movies were cool, right? Yeah, like yeah. Boys in the Hood and, and Juice were mm-hmm. were big movies back then. Right. So maybe that's why Milestone came out with the story about gangs. I don't know, but I I was thinking, you know, why did they have to make it a gang? I mean, isn't that kind of stereotypical? Well, kind of is the best answer for that. And so a writer named Ivan Velez Jr. wrote and designed characters for Buzz Syndicate. Now, Ivan was openly gay Latino American creator. He's known for creating Tales of the Closet, one of the first comics to depict everyday lives of LGBTQ youth. He was raised in the South Bronx and around the time the gangs were on the rise. So Milestone wanted him to focus on writing about realistic, disenfranchised teen teen gang members. And since he grew up in the Bronx in the 60s and 70s, he saw the different types of groups coming up. And these groups were made up of the Irish, Germans, South Americans, Puerto Ricans, Blacks, Chinese, South Asians, Caribbean Blacks. You know, they all had their territories and identities. He said, when I saw the sketches and names of the Blood Syndicate, all black and without personality, I knew I had some work to do. If Milestone was going to be about diversity, then I better get to work on diversifying the blood syndicate. And he had a lot of artistic freedom to do so, so he changed things around. The giant male brick became the giant female brick house with steel rods out of her hair because she actually has dreads. Fade and Flashback became Dark Dominicans. Tech Nine became a Puerto Rican. Third Rail became Korean and had father issues and was secretly a small kid who used his powers to be a big, powerful kid. Wise Son was based off a guy he grew up with on his block. Masquerade was Caribbean and transgender. And what better way to deal with transgender issues than with, this, than with the shapeshifter, born a woman who wants to be a man? Wow. So, I mean, he That's wanted to really represent yeah. the immigrant experience. So, Alcamaria was a Latina immigrant. And actually, when you read um, Blessing the Kid, she only speaks in Spanish. Wow. And so you always have either fade or flashback kind of, oh, yeah, I know what you mean, or, you know, just kind of talking with her. Right. And then people write about what they know, and then what happens, you at least get, you know, authentic characters. So I don't think they were stereotypical at all. It was the first time we were seeing so much diversity on one team. Yeah, that's a lot of good history, <laughs> Brooke. I mean, you know everything about Milestone, or so that was 
that was a really rich history and mm-hmm. I I didn't know that about, you know, that writer having that sort of complete control and I'm glad he did because he really made a huge difference yes. um, in that, you know, with all those characters by changing them around and, and making them represent such a, a wide group of people. Just so much, you know, diversity, so much representation. Um, and, and again, the fact that he had complete control over the direction of where these characters would go, he was able to incorporate his own life experience right. uh, into Blood Syndicate. And, and again, you know, you're right. People write what they know. So mm-hmm. I, I get that. And that's where he, you know, he grew up in the, you know, you, where you're saying in New York. So he was able to, to see all kinds of people and then um, create these characters where he could show the humanity behind, you know, these characters instead of some one dimensional caricatures that were so you know we were so used to seeing before and even though these characters came from all different backgrounds uh each struggled with their own issues and secrets right Right. they were able to find common ground to fight for one worthy cause so i don't know i just think it's such a a cool dynamic with all the characters and one character i do want to talk about that I've fallen back in love with is Static, or also known as Static Shock, right? So he goes by, I see both, Static or Static Shock. And so I remember as a kid watching the cartoon, I don't know, this was like the 2000s? Is that around the time? Yeah, Yeah. early 2000s. And so so when I knew we were doing this, okay, I'm gonna rewatch a couple episodes, and I I will tell you, Brack, I'm hooked again. (laughs) Um, And I've been watching them with my son too, and he loves Static. Um, And so I am like now on this, journey of trying to get static to be a movie and i i even googled it i was like oh is static gonna are they gonna turn it into a movie and oh my gosh there's this rumor that oh my gosh jaden smith might play static which okay, please okay, no okay. please <laughs> no anyone but jaden smith uh, but yeah, um hopefully all that great right <laughs> so Sorry. hopefully hopefully they um you know they do create a movie out of this because he's such a relatable and cool character. I love Static. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And see, I recently had the DC Universe app and have oh, been watching okay. Static with my kids. The cartel and the cartoons deal with a lot of issues. I know. I you know when I was watching some of the episodes, I was like, oh my gosh, there's just there's so many cool, so many cool like very valid issues that I could be bringing up in, in my sessions with the kids that I work mm-hmm. with because there's a lot of things that they could connect to. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we talked about Dakota and the Dakota verse. That's kind of like the you know, Dakota verse. Yeah. And these characters, um, they, they don't ever really coincide with the DC universe, right? Like no. the Dakota. Okay. So it's sort of like a, like a parallel universe, you would say maybe they're like yeah, their own al- storyline. Al- although I want to say maybe, uh, maybe around mid 2000s maybe 2010s they kind of incorporated some characters into the dcu like okay. icon joined the justice league static joined teen titans things like okay that. okay because i i think i had read like there was um there was there's some sort of crossover at some time so maybe it was like what you're saying like the 2000s or whatnot mm-hmm. and with the cartoon there was i know for sure because i'm not sure i don't know too much about the comics but i know with the cartoon um there was this episode uh is called the big leagues and that's mm. where um i guess batman and robin team up with static to fight the joker mm. so i remember seeing like clips of that i couldn't find the whole episode but i found a clip because i don't have the, the dc app but i need to get on that um so i found that so there, so that's where they were starting to sort of merge with each other and yeah. they they ended up reviving the dakota verse in 2008 because milestone actually stopped 
um, around 1998. Um, And so... They merged with the DC world around that time. And so what we do is we see static in shows like Teen Titans and in the Mm -hmm. Young Justice TV show. Um, So there is like, you know, so now they're sort of the worlds are colliding or merging now. Um, And so anyway, so static, whose real name is Virgil. What did you say his middle name was again? Oivid. Oivid Hawkins. Okay. So wrong. Okay. (laughs) Okay. And so he was, he was a kid who was bullied and, and beat up. Um, um, he was in a situation um, where his friend, and this is sort of like the origin story, um, mm-hmm. where he's, you know, has, he's at school, I think, and his friend Richie tells yep. him, hey, you know, meet me somewhere. Um, um, and we're going to face this this bully. And the, and the bully's name is Francis Stone. Okay. And so he later becomes Hot Streak. Mm-hmm. Um, so his friend gives him a gun to shoot Francis, you know, his bully. Uh, and, and so when they get there and, and Virgil has this gun in his hands, he's like, nope, I can't do this. No, no, no. This isn't, this isn't right. This isn't good. So he ends up throwing the gun into the river. And at that very same moment in time, the Big Bang happens. <laughs> so Virgil is exposed to that mutagenic gas and he gains electromagnetic powers. And so, you know, he becomes a superhero, you know, static that we know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the the show, I will say, was definitely ahead of its time. Like we said, it was around the t- 2000s. Yeah. Um, and it highlighted a lot of social issues. Um, you know, one of the episodes it shows uh, that one of his friends was actually like racist when he and he kind of goes off at Virgil um, when Virgil's like visiting the friend. Uh, another character. Oh, oh, you, oh, you mean the dad? Yeah, the dad goes yeah. off on Virgil. Yeah, so he, they're over and the and the dad has got his racist views and it's just awkward. Um, so they explore, you know, racism and yep. they explore dyslexia. I think there's a character that has dyslexia and is dealing with self-esteem issues. And there's even another episode that um, dealt with gun violence in the school. Yes. Um, so that was that was sort of a story that I want to just talk about because um, I, I work in schools, and so I was like, oh, this is a really one of those important sort of storylines um, that I think, even though they, it's like what twenty some minute episodes, they yeah, they covered a lot of all. stuff. Yeah. yeah. And so there was this student who was an outcast, or you know, they were calling him like sort of the loner, mm-hmm. um, and the character's name was Jimmy, and. Jimmy was also constantly bullied, you know, just like, you know, Virgil. So Jimmy is, you know, constantly bullied and Virgil and and Richie become friends with Jimmy. And so one day Virgil and Richie decide to hang out with Jimmy after school. And Jimmy makes a comment about having access to his dad's handgun. And Mm. Virgil and his friend Richie don't, I mean, they don't really take it seriously. And they leave Jimmy you know, just on his own. They just kind of ignore that whole bit. And when they walk away, they kind of feel guilty about leaving him after, you know, hearing, you know, about how Jimmy's like sad and angry, but also has access to his dad's gun. Like, hello, red flag. But they don't really think anything about it and they walk away. And then one day at school, I guess the school is like putting together like a school dance or decorating, um, you know, they're talking and Jimmy, you know, he pulls out his dad's gun and he pulls it out on one of his bullies. Yeah. And 
the other students, they try to wrestle the weapon away from Jimmy and then the gun, it goes off and it actually hits Richie, you know, one of, you know, Virgil's friends, it hits him in the leg. Um, and so what ends up happening is Jimmy gets sent to like juvie and the, I guess the bullies are suspended from school and they're forced to do community service. Again, this is like a 20 some minute episode. So they, (laughs) they sort of get through everything like a PSA as fast as they can. Um, and, and, you know, Richie, um, ends up being okay, but he does talk about how, you know, he and Virgil should have spoken up about the gun, you know, and they even talk about, being worried for Jimmy and feeling like he shouldn't go to jail, but he should get, you know, help obviously. Um, And I also liked how they showed that the whole school had access to counselors too. So that was Mm -hmm. kind of nice. And Virgil, even uh, one of his counselors even says to him, you know, bullets don't discriminate between friends and enemies. They hurt everyone. Um, And so, yeah, see, now no one needs to see that episode because I just told them exactly what happened. Uh, <laughs> but, still, you should still watch it anyway, everyone out there. Yeah, still watch it anyway. Um, so that was, you know, that was interesting. I just, you know, like I said, like a lot of the stuff is like coming up in the, the work that I'm doing. So when I'm watching these episodes, I'm like, oh, okay, you know, this is something that I definitely... And a lot of my kids love static, so they probably don't even know these episodes exist, so I need right. to just, you know, bring this up. But there's also this other episode where strat- static travels to the future, and he meets mm-hmm. his future self, and mm-hmm. when he's about to go back to the present, his future self tells him to believe in himself, and that it's his greatest power. So, you know, it's like cheesy, but it's like powerful for kids, so right. I love that. Um, there's just so many stories that I could pull from those episodes and, and use in my work, um, with the kids and adolescents that I work with, just so many, so many great and powerful storylines. And and yeah, what was great about that episode is, like I said, he meets his future self, but he also meets Batman Beyond, Terry McGinnis. Mm-hmm. And so you know, again, there's more of that milestone kind of creeping into the DC universe, right? You know, but yeah, Static just tackled a lot of issues. And we talked about earlier about sexuality and that whole controversy about the cover that DC wanted to hide. Now, Milestone published a lot of stuff that made DC very uncomfortable. Even though DC dealt with the same issues, the reason they were uncomfortable was because of the topics they were being dealt with and, you know, where they were coming from another point of view, which was the black point of view, Mm -hmm. and from a perspective they had never heard of before. And, of course, DC wants to sell books, so so they were nervous. You know, it happens. What ended up happening is characters like Static became hugely successful. He didn't even have a toy line. I think that he finally has a toy out now, you know, and there were no licensing, no licensing, licensing, excuse me, support from Disney or Nickelodeon. But he was successful because he was real and being written by people who were injecting their experiences as black men and women into that character and the, the Dakota universe. Exactly. I mean, that's exactly why he was so successful. He didn't need to have all this branding around him. He was just yeah. a cool character and every kid wants to be like him. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I love that. And like I said, I've been really enjoying revisiting the cartoon. I probably should get that DC app um, just so I can watch it in better quality than I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, another superhero that I we can't not talk about um, because you brought him up last episode was Luke Cage. Um, mm. Yay, Luke Cage. So he's very very mainstream um, because you know he's got his own show on Netflix. I yes. mean, you know he's up there, right? Um, so uh, I've 
I've heard mixed reviews about the show. I have watched the show, but you know, I want to talk a little bit about some of the the mixed reviews. So, you know, some, you know, especially with the the black viewers, like so these are things that I've been reading like comments and whatnot from oh. viewers and they were kind of saying that he was a slap in the face to the black community. This isn't everybody, but some of the yeah. comments that I was reading and I've read somewhere um that they were talking about, you know, how, okay, so they were saying, you know, Green Arrow is a billionaire and, mm-hmm. you know, Flash is a scientist and, you know, Iron Fist, he's wealthy, he's a wealthy guy too, and Daredevil's a lawyer, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, all these superheroes, they all have very prestigious backgrounds, right? They're they're wealthy and they're smart. Mm-hmm. And they say, well, then you, you look at someone like Luke Cage and you know he's a black male and he's coming from a disadvantaged background he grows up in group homes he's in a gang he goes to jail and when he gets out of jail he his jobs you know he's like sweeping floors and washing dishes for a living right so um and there's something really funny but there's even a scene that i sort of i rolled my eyes at because (laughs) it was after he (laughs) i don't know if you remember this but he he okay so he hooks up with the love interest misty knight right and um they're talking and he asks her what she does for a living and she says well i'm an auditor now luke cage is like a grown 40 year old man and he's like (laughs) what's an auditor (laughs) you know so i i just rolled my eyes i'm like okay even though he's in the hood people in the hood still know what an auditor is so i was like that was a little that was a little stupid but um so you know a lot of people feel that he reinforces those negative stereotypes um i also read something where someone said that you know okay if you look back at history and black males in the 1600s you know whose only value was placed on their strength right Mm. well look at luke cage he his superpower is that he has super strength right Mm. so again they're saying oh well this is just a, a black male perpetuating that image again and so I really wanted to hear your thoughts on Luke Cage Brack and I I remember we had a conversation like a, f- a few weeks ago and you were you were telling me we were like on the phone and you were saying that there are certain characters that you viewed one way as a child that you definitely yeah. view like a whole different way now as an adult so then that got me thinking I was like well I wonder if Luke Cage falls into that category I was wondering if you agree with the backlash against Luke Cage from some people in the black community huh. See, that's that's an interesting and Seems loaded like an question. Now. This yeah. is like an interview. You didn't you didn't see that. <laughs> oh man. Uh, well, again, the answer is well, kinda. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and I say that because Luke Cage had his roots in black exploitation. Right. You know, he was created back in '72, like you mentioned earlier. You know, Shaft, Superfly. Right. And I think to some people, he is a symbol of, of power, and people see themselves in him. And, you know, like I had mentioned in our first episode, he was one of the first superheroes I thought, hey, they look like me. And I even remember when Luke Cage came out and I I was telling somebody, is there something about a bulletproof black guy, especially in this day and age, that just feels comforting? Mm. And I think this is one of those instances, like Black Panther, where the character started off being created with the racist roots. You know, for example, look at Jack Kirby, you know, Jack King Kirby. Mm-hmm. The white dude who, along with Stanley, created Black Panther. Right. He did an interview back in 1990, 
and was asked how he came up with Black Panther. And this is what he said. And remember, this is Jack, Kirby, this is Jack Kirby, not me. <laughs> yeah, just wanna, okay. Just want to say that, because yeah. Anyway, I came up with the Black Panther because I realized I had no blacks in my strip. I had never drawn a black. I needed a black. I suddenly discovered that I had a lot of black readers. My first friend was a black, and here I was ignoring them because I was associating with everybody else. It suddenly dawned on me. Believe me. It was for human reasons. I suddenly discovered nobody was doing blacks. And here I am, a leading cartoonist, and I wasn't doing a black. I was the first one to do an Asian. Then I began to realize that there was a lot of range of human differences. And again, that's Jack King Kirby, not not (laughs) Brett Warren. So I think he was talking about inclusion, even though his language caned off. Again, kind of racist. No kidding. A black, a black, a black. (laughs) Right. But back to Luke Cage, you know, it's hard to erase his roots, but we can make him better. And he definitely isn't the same stereotypical Luke Cage from the black exploitation days. I mean, you look at his costume then and now and, you know, with the strength and slavery argument. Look, his origin story is that he was part of an, of an experiment in prison. Right. I mean, that's what when I, I was reading those, I was like, well, I guess, I mean, do these people not understand, you know, that, you know, his origin story, you know, how he got the super strength, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know I watched the show and it sh- in the first season, it showed that he actually almost dies after getting jumped by a bunch of other inmates. And so there's a, a doctor who's been doing experiments on a lot of the prisoners. Um, and I, I guess they're basically using like some sort of a, a version of the super soldier serum that we yeah, see the, yeah, used obviously to, in Captain America. Yeah, they were okay. trying to recreate it. So, recreate it, yeah. right. And then, you know, that, that experiment, it goes wrong. And, I mean, everyone, if you haven't seen the show, you have to watch it because <laughs> I, 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 sometimes I wonder if I should do spoilers or not, but the experiment <laughs> goes wrong and he gets super strength and invulnerability powers and then he ends up escaping prison with that, you know, that new power. Yeah. And after all those years, Luke Cage has evolved as his writers have evolved. You know, back in the day, he was portrayed as this angry black guy who was getting money. You know what I mean? His his title was mm-hmm. Luke Cage, Hero for Hire. Right. But now you see in the Netflix show, you know, they show him calm, quiet guy who's just working hard. You know, he has a father-son type relationship with the barbershop owner, Pop. And there are a lot of different characters in the show. And so hopefully comic readers from all different backgrounds can identify with someone in the show. Yeah, he even says in the show, I'm not for hire. Like, that was, like, one mm-hmm. of the very first things. Like, he was, somebody said something, right? And he even makes it a point to say, no, don't pay me or something. You know, right. I'm not I'm not for sale. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I loved... Yeah, I mean, I think Luke Cage is a cool guy. I mean, he's in the show, he's like constantly telling the youth to appreciate where they come from and and all the sacrifices that people before them had to make for them. Like he's constantly reminding them that. And he also refuses to use the N-word, right? He's like super, he has like these rules like, hey, no, don't don't use that kind of language. And he tries to really set the youth straight. Uh, I mean, honestly, he's a, he's a role model. I, I, mean, I don't know what people's problem with Luke Cage is. I love that his motto, which he learns from Pop, you know, that the character that you mentioned, you know, is never backwards, always forward. Never backwards, always forward. You know, I love quotes and I print them out and stuff and I hang them up. So that's like <laughs> another one I added to my list. I, I love that. Um, and he even says that after after Pop dies. Oh, sorry. There's see, there's a spoiler. But um, and I, and I just you know I just thought that was so powerful. And it's especially 
you know, with anyone who's overcome trauma. It's really just like a shout out to something called, you know, post-traumatic growth, which in psychology is a term for really, it's really about bouncing forward after adversity. So again, his quote, you know, never backwards, always forward is really a shout out to, to growing after something so terrible can happen to you. Yeah. And the show talks just like static shock a lot about social issues, you know, gun crime, systemic racism, police brutality is even in there. Right. And of course, black culture. I mean, he's in Harlem. So he's come a long way since the the 1970s. He stands up against racism and equality. And since he's being written by black writers on the show, the issues that affect them are projected onto characters like Luke Cage. Yeah, and and Luke Cage really depicts that intersection between race, culture, and social justice, right? So I, like I said, there's just so many issues that come up. And, um, you know, another superhero that I really want to talk about because I surprisingly really got into this show. <laughs> um, I even told you, I was like, what? This is surprising. Yeah. But with Black Lightning. Now, do you yeah. do you watch Black Lightning? Yes, do you, I do. Have you you okay, sound like okay, a lot so of friends have... of mine who were like, I don't know. And then they watched like, I really like Black Lightning. Okay, so like, okay. I told so, you. <laughs> I, I don't normally watch CW shows. <laughs> so, you know, there's all these superhero CW shows like mm-hmm. Flash and all those. I don't watch yeah. them because... Because they're a little cheesy, okay? I mean, they have terrible <laughs> acting, terrible, terrible effects. So I don't usually, I usually just stay away from all the CW shows. I think the last thing mm. I saw was like Smallville. And I didn't Ooh. even finish Smallville because Whoa. that got really bad, right? But I was like, okay, you know, I, I know, I knew the background of Black Lightning. So I was like, well, let me just give it a chance. Mm-hmm. And even though it's, it is cheesy, I, I really enjoy the Black Lightning storyline probably the most of any of the the shows that I I watch and I'll tell you why because I I I just think there was just so much to it um it's pretty different from anything else that's out there currently um so I want to just give a little bit of history on him um for anyone who you know who's not familiar with Black Lightning but basically the character was created in 1977 um by the DC comic writer Tony Isabella who also helped create Luke Cage. So, um, and so he originally pitched the idea for Black Lightning, um, you know, back then. And I don't know, I guess it didn't, I guess it didn't get a lot of traction because he was only able to write and publish like 11 issues and then the series was canceled. So that's sort of a shame there. Um, But the the sort of the, the nice thing was that the CW um, picked it up and they're like, you know, let's make a show out of this. So that's kind of cool that CW sort of stepped up and and highlighted this this character, you know, so he really is the um, the first black DC superhero to have his own standalone comic title. So um, to have his own show, that's like that's actually really it's really cool. Um, so again, the show is pretty corny. Is co- oh my god, his costume is <laughs> terrible. Uh, I wish it. I wish it didn't light up like they show it. I don't know why they had it. Don't you? Sorry. I, okay, I, I'm going to focus on the positives. Funny, okay, because there's. But there's a lot of good in the show. I, I know yes. I'm not selling the show yes. to people listening, but please watch the show because what the show does is it tackles so many social issues. Um, mm-hmm. So basically, Black Lightning, whose real name is Jefferson Pierce, he's a principal of a high school. And I think in the comic books, he's a teacher, right? I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah, I think, I think he's, he's a teacher, teacher of the comic book. Yeah. 
Okay, okay. So in the show, he's a principal, and really, you know, he's this retired superhero, and he comes out of retirement after nine years, and he comes out of retirement because there's this uprising of this local gang, and the, the local gang is called the, the 100, okay? And so basically, this gang is threatening his community, so that's why he comes out of retirement. And I, I want to just make this point, and it's really important to make it, that there's, this is the important difference between other superhero stories um, and, and Black Lightning, is that Black Lightning, he isn't fighting like supernatural forces and aliens and supervillains, at least in what I've seen so far, you know, right. he's no, fighting, right, right. he's, he's fighting like real life villains, right? Like gangs and drugs and sex trafficking, corrupt politicians and, and racial profiling. So those are the, the things that he's fighting. And there's just so many things that are just going on in today that, you know, they just plucked out of the news right and they put right in the show for yes. black lightning to face so i thought that was powerful um and they also showed that he has two amazing daughters and yeah. you know one of the daughters is even you know a lesbian and he and his wife are really accepting of her and it's just all, all about love and acceptance of her you know what i mean so mm -hmm. i i liked that as well um you know showing um, you know, this really close black family. And then the other, um, the daughter, she has, I guess she ends up having like really the same powers as he does. So I haven't finished it. I haven't finished the season yet, but I'm oh, where okay. um, okay. her name, I guess, well, I know she ends up being lightning, right? Because yes. the, the, the one daughter, the other daughter, the older daughter is thunder. thunder. And then yeah. the, the younger daughter is lightning. So that's cute. Thunder and lightning. Um, <laughs> and so I liked being able to see them sort of try to figure out how to use their powers and, you know, kind of figure out their responsibilities, you know, with that kind of power. Mm -hmm. um, and then I like seeing him trying to work together with his daughter, you know, and, and, you know, take on like vigilantism together. Um, so I like that dynamic, the, the that family dynamic. And yes. again, I, I haven't finished it yet, but I'm excited to see where that goes if the younger daughter sort of joins in on the crime fighting. So don't don't tell me because right now that's why I'm silent, she she <laughs> hates that she has powers. That's where I'm at right now. Oh, is she okay. hates that she has powers. So I need to I need to finish it. I'm probably going to finish it tonight. But um, so the the show really focuses on empowering young people to stand up for what they believe in, and in a in a non-violent way. Right. Oh. That's really important message in the show. And like I said, it's really anchored by a strong and loving black family. You know he. he him, his wife and daughters, which obviously we talked about earlier today that TV doesn't show mo much of that, right? So we right. need more of that. So that's like another reason why this show is so important. Um, and, the, and the show also references the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm -hmm. uh, it tackles racism. It tackles police brutality. Uh, it, it, you know, racial profiling, it shows, um, it shows Black Lightning, actually him, being pulled over like it's just him jefferson pierce in a suit right and in he's the in the car and, yes in the very <laughs> first scene being pulled over by the cops and this isn't like the first time this has happened to him right, right? this happens repeatedly to him and the only reason it happens to him is other than he's just a black man mm -hmm. driving a car you know um so they show that and it was very powerful and the the show discusses gang issues and mm -hmm. drug use and, and the drug that they talk about in the show is called green lightning and that's the you know that's the name and i i 
I, I could see references to, like I said, they were plucking things out of the news and what's happening mm-hmm. in today's society. But I could see references to like the opioid crisis, right? right? And what's going on today and what it's doing to our young communities. I see how they're tackling and how it's affecting the youth in the schools and what it's doing to them. So, you know, that was another storyline that they're they're bringing in. And all these storylines are going on at the same time, mind <laughs> you. So it's not like a story of the week type thing. It's all happening throughout yes. throughout the episodes. Um, and then they talk about divorce, right? Mm-hmm. And they talk about what that does to the family. It highlights uh, black history. You know, the school that he's the, the principal of, their motto is, by any means necessary, which is a reference to the famous Malcolm X speech. Um, so that was kind of a nice like ode to Malcolm X, I thought. Mm-hmm. And um, another really important, so you could tell I like this. See, I'm just yes. going off. Um, <laughs> but another really fine. important, yeah. Another important aspect is you know they show with gang violence, they make sure to show that there's um, there's consequences to the violence that people that we love and get attached to, like these mm-hmm. characters they can die, right? That they do yes. die and it's permanent. And that when they're gone, they're gone. So they're really like very, I don't know, it's very moving aspects of the show, which honestly I didn't expect from the CW. <laughs> so you go CW, you keep doing what you're doing. Just improve on the costume and the effects and you'll be good. So. Oh man. <laughs> you know, and I just want to say I a thousand percent agree, but just two things hey. that I want to say, you know, cause we're talking about black lightning. There's two things right. that I want to say real quick. One, uh, and there, there's there's just little things you may not notice, but there was I remember I was watching an episode, everybody sitting down having dinner, and I paused it and I took a foot took a picture and sent it to one of my friends and I said, "See this? Can you tell me why this is the blackest show on TV right now?" And he responded back, "Because they have hot sauce." I think I think they're eating pizza. They're eating something. And right. Somebody pulls out a bottle of hot sauce. And I mean, you look around my kitchen table. There's a bottle of hot sauce there. Me and my daughter love it. And then another scene. There's this kid. He's he's in, he's not even you know it's not even the main focal point of the of the scene. But he's talking about something. And he said, "I said Ninja, please." And Ninja, please is a different take on the N word. Like, there's right. kids I work with, and I'm like, man, nah, yep. you can't, you don't be saying that around me. If you're going to say it, say ninja. Right, right. And, you know, so yep. now I have kids that I work with who say, man, I was talking to this ninja, or I was talking to this, nin- <laughs> I mean, ninja. And it's just funny to see those little things, because right. Black Lightning is about what it would be like if a superhero had to take on real-life problems. Exactly. You know, it shows us that when a bullet hits a person, it can kill them, like you said. And that loss has a deep impact on the community. It shows that gangs just aren't made up of bad people, that people are complex and have many reasons they would join a gang. So it teaches us to think and to have compassion before we jump to conclusions. And I love how it teaches the audience that we don't need to fight with our fists or need to have superhuman powers, that we can fight for change, just like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. or Malcolm X did. We can learn from history. Yeah, see, that's another quote I'm going to quote you on and write. See, I, I love that. <laughs> Breck, that's so powerful. I need Kleenex because this is this is a CW show we're talking about Black Lightning. <laughs> um, you know, of all the stuff out there, though, 
um, as a comic book and as a TV show, I, I'm going to say I think it has the most powerful storytelling out there right now. Because like mm-hmm. you said, it's drawing on the little pieces of just like culture, like you're showing yeah. things that, you know, you're like, oh, you know, you can really connect to. But then also the social, political, economic, whatever issues represented in the show. Um, it's about living your truth, right? Yes. And understanding that we all have strengths within us. And if we can come together as a community, we can actually take down those real life villains that afflict us all. Yes. And all these stories that we've talked about are a huge change from back in the day when black characters were sidekicks pimps, drug dealers, and the black exploitation films of the 70s. You know, these stories and more, you know, that we will definitely have to talk about in other episodes, like Miles Morales. Yes. I mean, if you've seen Venom, yes. well, I won't say any more. I know. But <laughs> stay in your seats. Um, through the credits, Spectrum, a.k.a. Captain Marvel. <gasps> what? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Storm. I mean, Big shout out to Storm, Cloak and Dagger, and many others. You know, they're not only superhero stories, but also a celebration of black life. You know, these stories aren't just for black people either. You know, we identify with the humanity and with the struggles of these characters. We learn that each side has a story and deserves to be heard. Chadwick Boseman, who, you know, was Black Panther, said in an interview that when we learn from stories like Black Panther, that what we learn from stories like Black Panther is that everyone is the hero in their own story. But we must have an opportunity to tell our story. And especially nowadays, that message is as important as any other. Exactly. That message that you have should have an opportunity to tell your story. That's, that's a really big message, especially with what's going on nowadays. So a very, very powerful statement indeed, yeah. Well, I just want to thank you listeners out there for joining me and Sophia on this very important discussion. Sophia, I want to personally thank you for, you know, taking charge of this episode while I was sick and down and out. And, you know, we will, of course, continue to highlight these important stories. So until next time, everyone, be kind to others, be kind to yourselves, and geek on. <laughs>